the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Uh, President Trump signed an executive order uh, that would tighten rules that award visas to skilled foreign workers and directs the federal government to enforce rules that bar foreign contractors from bidding on federal projects. He also signed another one today um, that said something to the effect uh, going after steel imports. Uh, and, and how we can affect those. Um, this is a big part of his buy American thing. Uh, buy American, hire American. Certainly sounds like it would be a great thing. We all, of course, enjoy Americans. And mm-hmm. We, of course, uh, would like, you know, we prioritize America, I think, over other nations. It's our country. It's understandable. We're patriotic. We like the country. Um, and I think that's what, of course, Donald Trump is going for there. But you know, there's a lot of uh, consequences to that. Um, and so let's see where we stand with this. Uh, Scott Lincecum is with us. Uh, he is an international trade lawyer from the Cato Institute as well. Scott, for th- thanks for coming on the program. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. So buy American, hire American. It sounds awesome. I mean, why, who doesn't like Americans? They're pretty cool. Why do you hate yeah. it so much? Uh, well, you know, unfortunately, we're only talking about some Americans that we're protecting here. I mean, you mentioned steel, for example. So, yes, you know, there are about 150,000 workers in the American steel industry. Um, there are uh, 6.5 million American workers in industries that use steel. So uh, the president today, uh, if his executive order does eventually lead to tariffs on steel imports, um, is actually raising the costs for all of those other companies and all of those other workers, leading to fewer workers, fewer output, and the rest. Um, in fact, you know, we went down this steel road about 15 years ago when President Bush uh, imposed global safeguard tariffs on a bunch of different steel products. And what we found out was that um, it actually cost hundreds of thousands of American jobs. And the jobs that we potentially saved in the steel industry cost American consumers about $600,000 per job mm. saved every year. So, oh, wow. That's, yeah, a, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, when you think about a manufacturing salary is going to be around $50,000, $60,000 a year for these workers, um, you're looking at a 10 to 1 cost to benefit ratio in terms of uh, policy. So look, buy American sounds great. And like you said, uh, we are Americans. We, we want to help Americans. It's just always important to remember that when it comes to protectionism, we're not helping all Americans. We're helping just a few Americans, uh, mainly the CEOs that are at the White House today standing behind the president clapping. Uh, and we're hurting all the other 
workers and CEOs who uh, don't get that kind of access. Isn't it also kind of hard in this day and age to define what is American? Is an American company one whose headquarters are here, but they assemble their product in Mexico or China? Or is it one that's built here, but their headquarters are in Japan? Exactly. And, you know, you look at the auto industry, and that's a perfect example. Yeah. You know, the, the most American car on the road today is actually a Toyota. Uh, so <laughs> when you, right. Wow. And, and there are tons of, um, of foreign manufacturing facilities all over the South where I am right now. You know, you go through the Carolinas and into Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and the rest. Um, and it's, it's one uh, foreign manufacturing facility after another. All of those places are hiring good old-fashioned Americans. Mm. And so the, the, the name on the product really doesn't tell you much about where it's, it's about its American-ness. Um, and then you look at a, an agreement like NAFTA, and you actually see that their Mexican imports, for example, that come into the United States actually have a ton of American content. And so um, even things that are manufactured in other places very, very likely have uh, American inputs uh, and, and so American manu- employing American manufacturing workers. And then, you know, finally, even if something is 100 percent foreign made, all the inputs are foreign, you're still hiring a lot of Americans or employing a lot of Americans, whether it be in the shipping industry um, or retail or whatever. And so there are a lot of American jobs that are supported by, by those wholly foreign imports. It's just not as simple as saying buy America. Yeah. And, and like we all, uh, you know, I think it's been a, certainly a traditional position of many people who would watch this network to be, you know, patriotic and want to buy American. And that's a good thing. We've we've released products before that were American made and, and, and talked about that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. However, when, when there's a government policy here, which is doing two things that I think conservatives and libertarians have fought against for a really long time, the government picking winners and losers and the redistribution of wealth. We are saying, hey, steelworkers, we're going to take money from other people and give it to you, basically, in effect. And that's something that I thought we all wanted to fight against and now all of a sudden are told to embrace. Yeah, and, you know, you look at how conservatives and libertarians recoiled at, uh, for example, green energy subsidies during the Obama yeah. administration. I mean, here was a situation where uh, the president and the Obama administration was, was using taxpayer dollars to enrich companies like Solyndra. Um, well, protectionism does exactly the same thing, except instead of the money coming from the treasury, it's just coming from consumers' pockets. And in that way, you know, protectionism that is actually a little less intellectually honest because consumers don't see where their dollars are going. And most American consumers just aren't going to understand that, wow, you know, I'm actually paying a little bit more to enrich some cronies in, in the steel industry or whatever. So can you explain what he's trying to do with his executive order? I know the, the, the threat is that it could lead to tariffs, but it, it's not actually doing that yet, right? Right. So, so let's separate the two executive orders. The first one is on Buy American policies, which relate mainly to uh, federal government procurement. We think of things like uh, roads and bridges and so forth. And basically, he's done what he's done there is instructed uh, various agencies to examine how they can maximize American content under current Buy American laws um, with respect to federal projects. 
So that's the first EO. Uh-huh. And then there's some immigration issues. I'm not an immigration lawyer, but uh, those relate to um, examining standards for H-1B visas, which are skilled worker visas, to determine if, if maybe um, those should be going to uh, higher salaried employees and shouldn't be disproportionately benefiting certain companies that, that engage in or that are um, specifically uh, in the business of, of bringing in foreign workers. So that's the, the first executive order. The second one, which is under Section 232 of our trade laws, um, will ask the Department of Commerce to issue a report within 270 days to determine uh, whether steel imports imperil national security. Now, the, the, the sticky part of this is that the, the statute doesn't define what does threaten national security really mean. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do over the next 270 days is commerce is going to sit down and they're going to review the, the data. They're going to talk to the steel industry. They're going to talk to steel consumers. They're going to talk to foreign governments. And they're going to put together a big report to determine whether uh, steel imports in 2017 threaten national security. Now, it's important to, to note that the Department of Commerce actually did the exact same investigation in 2001. And the results were a resounding negative in that they found that steel imports in no way imperiled uh, American national security. And they found that because, most, most importantly, they found that the steel industry at that time uh, had so much capacity that under 5% of the total capacity for American steel manufacturing could easily satisfy all of our defense industrial needs. Mm. So, the, the, you know, certainly the, the steel industry has changed a mm. bit since then, but steel output's actually about the same as it was 15 years ago, believe it or not. So mm. the chances that, that the Department of Commerce, is, if they apply that standard, uh, is going to find a, a national security threat or low. So we lawyers, though, we're, we're waiting to see if maybe they apply a different standard and then, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. Is it a real thing? Do you think, I mean, you bring up 2001, which is, is an right. interesting part of that, because, I mean, but Trump wants a result, right? I mean, he obviously wants the end to be, yes, it does imperil our national security. Right. Is that the type of thing that a president has a lot of influence on, or is that, are these things actually honest? Well, so yes and no. Um, the president certainly has uh, the ability and his political appointees certainly have the ability to influence the process, particularly in a legal regime like Section 232, where the term national security is not defined. Now, Congress, in my opinion, um, really dropped the ball in that they delegated this authority to the president to regulate trade. As you know, Congress has the constitutional authority to regulate foreign commerce and regulate trade. So, But in delegating that authority to the president, they didn't actually define what national security means. And so that gives the president a ton of leeway, consistent with the law, really, to, to find a national security threat where previous presidents didn't, um, and in a way that, that isn't uh, against... Uh, the the at least express intent of Congress. Hmm. We've seen the same thing happen with uh, with war recently. In that you know constitutionally, this is a con- congressional thing, and, and instead they've they've given up that authority really, and, right. and it's, it said, hey, you know, hey, you got sixty days to kind of do whatever you want. It's interesting yeah. how that keeps happening, and you wonder, from just a self interest perspective, why Congress would continually be giving up the power they actually have. I don't even understand that. 
Yeah, no, I will say this. I will I will give them a little bit of a break on trade because the fact is that the congressional delegation of trade authority over the last century was actually done um, in kind of free trade motives. The fact is if you look at what happened in the 19th century and the early 20th century with like Smoot-Hawley and so forth, yeah, yeah. is that Congress was the most protectionist organization entity in the government. And the Congress actually <laughs> tried to tie its own hands by delegating authority to the president who has always been the most free trade guy in the government. And so in this case, you know, you kind of, you want to cut him some slack, but whoever wrote the law still provided far too much discretion, like I mentioned. And it's not just under Section 232. We have a lot of trade laws out there that, that just don't define the scope of presidential power. And that, of course, worries a lot of us who believe in free trade and think protectionism is a really bad idea. Um, before you go, Scott, there was a story that came up uh, a couple of weeks ago that I'm hitting you completely out of surprise, but it just, you just reminded me as you were talking about this because the way things aren't defined. And it was with the Snuggie. Are you familiar with the story yes. of the Snuggie? Yeah, you got to explain this. This is amazing. Yeah, so, so Snuggies were being imported under a certain tariff category that meant they were only getting an 8% tariff or so forth. And I believe they were, they were categorized as blankets. Well, if you end up categorizing the Snuggie as a sweater um, or <laughs> what, whatever it is, then right. the tariff immediately goes up to 15 to 20%. Um, and of course, so some... Uh, domestic manufacturers sought to challenge the Snuggies importation as a blanket, even though it says it's a blanket and you know, I, right. we can all agree to disagree on, on whether that's true. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's a great example of just how complex and, um, uh, you know, troublesome trade regulation can be. You know, conservatives, even President Trump, talk about how they want to lower the burden of regulations on American companies. Well, here you had American importers uh, and American retailers who actually had to hire trade lawyers like me to parse all the customs law and in the process got stuck with a much higher regulatory burden at the end of the day um, if, if they were designated to be a sweater, if their products were <laughs> so there are a lot of regulatory costs on trade, too, that we just don't ever seem to talk about. It's amazing. I mean, you think about, like, over the run of the Snuggie. I mean, that's a lot of freaking blankets or, or sweaters. And, you know, yeah. 7 to 10% uh, a, a tariff on all of that is a huge difference to them. I mean, it yeah. probably destroys the company if they lose that case, which they did wind up winning, right, Scott? I think they did. Yeah, yeah they did. They had yeah. lawyers. Um, so it... Uh, it, and, it, and, it, and again, you know, also think about how um, snuggy consumers were paying a hidden tax they knew nothing about. Yeah. So probably a few percent of, of, the, of the price, they were just paying out of their pockets um, in tariffs, and, and they really had no choice in the matter. Amazing. And by the way, I would also recommend for those snuggy uh, people out there, the, the slanket. Uh, which is a sleeved blanket. And it was actually, I believe, predates the Snuggie and was never really got the press of the Snuggie. They did not have the advertising. But I think the name's better. I mean, it's sleeves on a blanket. It's a slanket. Mm -hmm. And there would be no question the with Snuggie the trade has there. sleeves, too. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a, a blanket it's, with sleeves. It's a similar thing. But, yeah. I mean, you know, just, just building up the snuggie, <laughs> snuggly part of that, I think, hurts them in their trade case. As mm -hmm. where slanket, it's, you're saying, it's, I mean, anket is in the name. <laughs> uh, I think that would even be a much win more easily winnable case. I mean, I'm no, I'm yeah. no trade attorney, I, I think. No, no, I think. I think you just graduated right there. Okay. You get one of these fancy diplomas <laughs> behind you, and you're good to go. Uh, Scott Linsicum uh, from the Cato Institute, international trade lawyer. Thanks for coming on the program. Man. As always, a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks.
Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. 